And now, enjoy this free Jason Modcast show. Welcome to Flashback Fridays. I am your host, David K. Montoya. All right, gang, we are back for another week of three hours of audio entertainment right here on Flashback Fridays of the JZO Modcast Podcast Network. Whew, I said all that in one breath. That was that was an undertaking. All right, we really are we got so much going on. Uh, not this week, this Friday, obviously the last Friday of the month. As we move into December, a lot of stuff is happening that you will be able to get a lot of our swag. That's right, I use the word swag. Um, if you are a fan, and you probably are, if, if anybody even listens to the show, I do not know because I'm not looking at the downloads. We are coming out with a, a well first for the Jazel Modcast Podcast Network. We are coming out with the Church of Ducky Woo Woo shirt. Uh, if you are a fan of Shooting Straight with myself and my brother Randy Lofgren, uh, we are coming out tomorrow. I believe tomorrow, which is going to be the first. Um, you'll be able to. Start purchasing the Church of Ducky Woo Woo shirts. And then if you happen to be a fan of the World of Myth, which is something that I own, um, it's an online literary magazine. We are coming out with a couple of publications, and we are taking pre-orders uh, for Stephanie Barty's fantasy novel, uh, Etern Eternal Bound. And that goes pre-sale tomorrow on the 1st. And then we will be coming out, I think, the following week with the World of Myth Anthology Volume 3. And you'll be able to pick up that as well. Lots and lots of stuff. Okay, if you happen to just stumble across this thing, you're number one probably figuring, what in the hell is he talking about? Stick around, you'll find out. Uh, number two is each and every week we get together and we pull three podcast shows from our very, very large Jayzo Modcast podcast archives. We have over 700 individual podcasts. And what we do is we, we pick out three random podcasts, we play them, and then we'll go home. Well, in the exact order, we'll play them, we'll talk about them. We'll play them, we'll talk about them, we'll play them, we'll talk about them, then I'll send you home, hopefully after three hours of audio goodness. So, let's go ahead and jump into the show and find out what we are going to listen to first. Uh, I don't know. Uh, let's see. We've got ooh, Saturday segments. And it will be... I'm doing this all online. I'm trying a new system here, kids. And that will be... 
Saturday segments number eight. And okay. So Saturday segments number eight, originally released January 26, 2013, in which Larry celebrates two months of podcasting as he chats about all the Hollywood has can offer. All right. I I won't lie, I don't remember this. It's been so many years, but let's go ahead and sit back and enjoy Saturday segments number eight, the working hour. Well, it's that time again. <clears throat> this is Saturday segments. I'm your host, Larry Walton. I hope you all are having a good week so far. Um, if you're back east, I know it's getting cold back there. So I hope all of you who are listening to these podcasts uh, are staying warm and bundling up and uh, keeping uh, cozy as much as you can. Okay, um, keep saying um a lot, don't I? I thought I would start uh, off today by reading to you something I found interesting. Um, <laughs> it's kind of weird, um, if you know, if you know, as far as weirdness. Um, if you remember uh, the Charlie Brown. Uh, Charlie Brown Christmas, uh, The Great Pumpkin, and um, yeah, basically the Charlie Brown TV, the, the Charlie Brown TV specials. The person who voiced Charlie Brown, Peter Robbins, was arrested uh, in San Diego court. Two counts of stalking and ten counts of making criminal threats. Apparently, he was calling his former girlfriend as many as 37 times within 24 hours that he would kill her and her son if she did not give back his dog and his car. So apparently, um, he was stalking her and a plastic surgeon, a plastic surgeon who gave her breast implants, which he didn't like. <laughs> anyway, um, says here he allegedly confront allegedly confronted his former girlfriend in the motel room. A hotel room on December 31st. Beating his dog and telling her he would not stop hurting the animal and would kill her if she did not get a refund for her surgery. The district attorney increased his bail to $550,000. says also that he purchased a gun and had been practicing at shooting at a shooting range so um, <laughs> weird and this guy is 56 years old he's about my age 
says here he paid he paid for the breast implants and he wanted his money back after they broke up so there you have it it's just one of those weird things weird it just <clears throat> it's amazing what people do you know um, really weird so that's that's what's going on in that part of the news Also, um, let's see, um, I guess you heard, um, that the, uh, 1966 Batmobile was sold at auction on the 19th of this month. It was sold for $4.6 million dollars. To a man named Chris Champagne I believe that's his name he bought it and now it's his um, he said that he's going to make room for it in his living room I don't know how he's gonna do that he must have a big living room <laughs> um, and apparently his wife says it's okay with her you know if he does it so congratulations to him for purchasing uh, a very iconic uh, movie car, TV car, I should say. Um, anyway, <laughs> so we know about the Batmobile. Um, let me see. I want to talk about um, upcoming movies coming out um, this next week. And I also want to talk about um, I found something interesting I want to talk about. Um, about the 100 greatest fictional characters. I thought that might be, be interesting to uh, talk about. <clears throat> so, let's get started. Um, okay. Movies that are coming out soon. This one with Jason John's Jason Statham. It's called Parker. Another one is Hansel and Gretel, Witch Hunters. They just recently had a movie called Abraham Lincoln, Vampire Hunter. So now we got Hansel and Gretel going after witches. Here's one called Movie 43. I understand it has quite a few actors in it. Uh, Halle Berry's in it. Dennis Quaid is in it. Um, different actors are in it. Here's another one called John Dies at the End. Here's another one called Knife Fight. Another one called Noobs, N-O-O-B-Z. Um, not too sure what that one's about. Another one called Resolution. One called Supporting Characters. These are all coming out, I believe, on the 25th, which is next week, or this weekend, Friday. The Taste, the Taste of Money is coming out. One called Happy People, A Year in the Taiga. Bullet, hit, Bullet to the Head is coming out with uh, Sylvester Stallone. 
that's coming out. That comes out February 1st. Or, yeah, February 1st. One called Warm Bodies. Um, another one called Stand Up Guys. Let's see who's in that one. Al Pacino, Christopher Walken, and Alan Arkin. Okay. Here's one girl <coughs> called Girls Against Boys. One called Side Effects. Let's see who's in that one. Steven Soderbergh. Scott Z, Scott Z Burns, and Rooney Mara. Okay. Let's see, one called Identity Theft, Identity Thief. Here's one called A Glimpse Inside the Mind of Charles Swan III. Here's one called Lore. Another one called The Playroom. That's used in that one. It's only 83 minutes long. It's not a very long movie. Creatures is coming out, and one called Escape from Planet Earth. Brendan Fraser is in this one. Let's see. Let's see, James. James, I can't pronounce his last name. Randolfini? Randolfini, that's the name, okay. Okay, um, let's see what else we got here. Oh yeah, Bruce Willis is coming out with A Good Day to Die Hard. <clears throat> Here's one called No. Here's one called The Bitter Buddha. Here's another one called Saving Lincoln, another Lincoln movie. It's based on a true story. It says, when Abraham Lincoln is elected president, he brings only one friend to Washington, his banjo playing Joke-telling former law partner and confidant. Okay. Here's one called Dark Skies. Let's see what that one's about. It's from the people who brought out Paranormal Activity, Insidious, and Sinister. Let's 
the snitch that's with the rock here's one jack the giant stalker or jack the giant slayer 21 and over there's the last the last exorcism part two coming out stoker the sweeney uh, comes out in march oz the great and powerful comes out the ABCs of Death. Let's see. Gina Rosa is coming out. The Call. Here's one called the Crudes. CR Crudes. Yeah. Admission is coming out in March. An inappropriate comedy. Olympus Has Fallen. Oh, that sounds like his wife. Oh, okay, let's see. Sounds interesting. Let's see what else is coming out. The host coming out is March. Also, G.I. Joe Retaliation is coming out. The Place Beyond the Pines, Starbuck, and there's one called Wrong. Okay. These are coming out uh, within the next few months. There's one with Sandra Bullock called The Heat. One called The Brass Teapot. Upstream Color, Evil Dead. Scary Movie 5, <laughs> another one. Oblivion. Pain and Gain, looks like it's, um, let's see here, Mark Wahlberg, Dwayne Johnson, Anthony Mackie, Ed Harris, and Rob Corday are in that one. Okay, what else we got? The Big Wedding, Mud. Iron Man 3 is coming out. There's one called About Time, The Dark Tower. It's coming out in May, looks like. Hmm, okay. It's a Ron Howard movie. It's also a Stephen King book. It's about a, gun, a gunslinger rolling Deshane's journey to find an even elusive tower, ever elusive tower, in an alternate dimension filled with fantastical creatures and characters. Okay. Let's see, Star Trek comes out in May into darkness. <clears throat> One called Now You See Me, Monster University. World War Z is coming out in June. Kick-Ass 2 is coming out. The Lone Ranger is coming out. Despicable Me 2 is coming out. Pacific Rim. The Smurfs and Red 2 and Asylum. These are just some movies that are coming out within the next few months. Okay. Now we'll look at movies that are out. Um, <clears throat> 
are coming out on DVD or out now on DVD I know one coming out uh, if you remember if some of you remember Dobie Gillis uh, the many loves of Dobie Gillis that's coming out uh, I think it comes out sometime this month it stars Dwayne Hickman uh, and Bob Denver is in it so if you remember if you're a baby boomer like me you remember Dobie Gillis that's coming out uh, I believe this month let's see there's one called Nature Calls one called Nobody Walks these are out uh, now there's one called The Imposter one called Keep the Light On there's one Officer Down The Paperboy Searching for Sugar Man Fat Kid Rules the World okay Taken 2 that's with Liam Neeson The Possession is coming out one called We'll Be Back We'll Back Down, I'm sorry there's one called To Roam With Love another one called Branded there's one about called About Cherry yeah Detropia The Intouchables okay Farewell My Queen Frankenweenie one called Hit and Run. Dread is coming out. House at the End of the Street. Compliance. Touchback. And the Brooklyn Brothers beat the beat the best. Let's see what else is coming out. Let's see. The Inbetweeners is coming out. Jack and Diane one called Stolen Cosmopolis is out now Little Birds is out let's see one called Oh Looper's coming out or is that it just came out these just came out recently I won't read them all um, The Words Resident Evil just came out recently Killer Joe and there's uh, a few others, Total Recall. Anyway, I won't read them all off because they have just come out um, recently. Let's see, I want to look at ones that are coming out next month. I think I just read those. Hold on here, let me see. Let's see. Let me look at the large here for a second. Okay. There's a few. Uh, Union Square, Grave Encounters 2, Life of Pi, and In Their Skin. Okay. <laughs> that sounds interesting. Okay. Let me see what else I can find that might be interesting.
see. Okay, here we go. One's in February. This is not a film. Comes out. Argo's coming out in February. Sinister. Special Forces. Undefeated. Bully. Uh, the Perks of Being a Wallflower. Robot and Frank. Smiley. The Sessions. Cloud Atlas. Here comes the Boom. Alex Cross. Celeste and Jesse forever and you may not kiss the bride. Okay. <laughs> Alrighty. Hmm. Sounds interesting. Okay, um, these are the movies um, that came uh, like in first first place. Um, the first one was Mama, $28.1 million. The next one, Zero Dark Thirty at $17.6 million. Silver Linings Playbook, $11.3 million. Gangster Squad at $9.1 million. Broken City at $9 million came in. A Haunted House, $8.3 million. Django Unchained, $8.2 million. The Miserable, $7.8 million. The Hobbit, $6.4 million. The Last Stand with Arnold Schwarzenegger, $6.3 million. Lincoln, $5.4 million. And parental guidance, 4.3 million. Okay. Oh, there's uh, also news that Arnold Schwarzenegger is going to be in the, another, the, the next Terminator movie. He announced it, I believe, the other day that he'll be in the next Terminator movie. I'm not sure when that schedule will be coming out. But look for Arnold coming out um, in Terminator. I'm not sure what the title is or anything. I also know that there's going to be another Jurassic Park movie. I'm not sure when that's going to come out. Um, I know Steven Spielberg is going to produce it. But that's about all I know. <laughs> They haven't found a director yet for that movie. So, <clears throat> on that note, uh, I want to talk about 100 Greatest Fictional Characters. Some I know you'll recognize. Starting at number 100 is Sam Beckett from Quantum Leap, Quantum Leap with star Sam Bakula. Where he, he leaped into history into other people's bodies, uh, setting the right that was wrong. Number 99, Lois Lane, 
She was created in 1938 as the love interest of Superman. She became DC Comics' longest enduring character. Next one is Hellboy. This is number 98, number 97, Patrick Bateman from American Psycho. Number 96 is V, V for Vendetta, V for Vendetta, for Vendetta, sorry. Number 96. Hmm. Okay, let me see if I can find. Okay, here's some more. <laughs> I'm coming around. Let's see. Here's one I never heard of. Raystalin Majir. Okay. And the Dragonlance Chronicles. 96 Aryan Sun and Farscape. Number 93 is Guybrush Threepwood, Monkey Island, okay. Number 92, Jeff the Do Lebowski, that was um, number 92 with Jeff Bridges. Oh yeah, Kermit the Frog is number 91. He's been around for a long time. He's one of the original Muppets on Sesame Street. I'm sorry. Okay. I'm trying to find. Oh, here we go. I messed up. Sorry. <laughs> Barney Stinson on. How I Met Your Mother. Number, that's number 90. 90, 89 is Hermione Granger from Harry Potter, uh, Emma Watson. Number 88 is Doctor Doom from the Marvel Comics. Eighty-seven. Anami Ray. That's from Neon Genesis. Evangelion. Evangelion. Okay. Eighty-six. Wall Leonard. Leonard is from Final Fantasy VIII. 
some of these I recognize somebody from my building. Here is 85 Wesley Wyndham Price from Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Angel. 84 Boba Fett from the Star Wars. He wasn't around very long. <laughs> he had a brief, a brief showing in Empire Strikes Back, and he was killed off in Return of the Jedi when he fell into the Sarlacc pit. Eighty-three Jane Cobb, Firefly and Serenity. Number eighty-two, The Flash, Barry Allen. He first appeared in the Silver Age of Comics, October 1956. Oh yes, Dorothy Gale, The Wizard of Oz. Judy Garland. <clears throat> I heard something uh, that when the day that Judy Garland passed away, uh, there was a tornado in Kansas, so that's kind of interesting, I thought. Alice from Alice in Wonderland, number 80. <clears throat> Magneto, number 79, Marvel Comics. 78, Calvin, of Calvin and Hobbes. The comic ran from 1985 to 1995. Ash Williams, that's uh, Evil Dead series. Bruce Campbell. Number 76, that was number 77. Number 76 is Death. Uh, also known as the Grim Reaper. Yeah. <laughs> you know about that one? Yeah. Omar Little. The Wire. Never saw that one. Number seven, uh, number 74, River Tam. Firefly and Serenity. Uh, number 73, Samwise Gamgee from the Lord of the Rings trilogy. He's Frodo's, he's Frodo's friend. Um, he went, he was with Frodo uh, throughout all three, uh, all three, all, all the books and all the movies, actually. Hercules, number 72. John Carter, 71. Oh, Edgar Rice Burroughs uh, created him. Okay. Deadpool, Marvel Comics. Okay, never heard of him before. Oh yeah, a lot of you people, a lot of you, a lot of you fans out there like Dexter Morgan. He's number 69. Oh yeah, Eric Cartman from South Park. <laughs> uh, he's a character. He's a funny. He's interesting. Oh, Dr. Bones, Leonard McCoy Bones. 
created by DeForest Kelly. Number 66, Tarzan. Created by Edgar Rice Burroughs. That's number 66. Oh, number 65, Catwoman. Created by Bill Finger and Bob Kane. Holden Caulfield, The Catcher in the Rye. Number 63, Yuna Baraska. Final Fantasy series. 62, Aquaman. Aquaman is on my list for longevity of fame despite total unrealized potential. 61. Doctor Strange, Marvel Comics. 60. Oh yes, number 60. Yoda. <clears throat> Number 90, number 60 is Yoda. 59, Optimus Prime. Of course, you know him from Transformers. 59. See, it says here, um, when Hasbro killed him in, 19, 19, in a 1986 movie, audiences were so outraged that they brought him back in the third season of Transformers. Number 58, Huckleberry Finn, created by Mark Twain. 57, Ellen Ripley, Ellen Ripley in the Alien movies. 56, Mickey Mouse. He was created in 1928. Oh. Okay, let's see here. Uh, 55, uh, number 55 is Bilbo Baggins, uh, created by J.R.R. Tolkien. Um, <clears throat> and let's see here. Um, he's the unlikely hero of The Hobbit. <laughs> Number 54 is Tom Sawyer, created by Mark Twain. 53, Dr. Gregory House, played by Hugh Laurie. Number 52, The Green Lantern, created by Bill Finger and Martin Nodell. Let's see, it says here, Helen Scott bore the Green Lantern ring in 1940. Acting as an intergalactic police, the Green Lantern Corps is a hugely popular and resonant force in comic books, embodying humanity's will and strength. 51 Galacticus, that is from Marvel, looks like Marvel Comics. He's a godlike villain in the Marvel Universe. He roams the galaxy devouring planets. 
partly due to his incredible and horrifying abilities and partly due to decades of fans mocking his pink and purple armor. <laughs> okay, that's interesting. <clears throat> Ebenezer Scrooge at number 50 from Charles Dickens. Christmas Carol. Number 49, Veronica Mars. Appearing in Veronica Mars. Never seen it. Oh, yeah, Bugs Bunny, number 48. Voiced by Mel Blank. He was created in 1940. <clears throat> G Car. Babylon 5. Um, never saw, I never saw, I saw a few. I've seen a few episodes of Babylon 5. I think I remember this character. Number 46, Captain Ahab and Moby Dick. Number 45, Solid Snake. That is in Metal Gear series. That's a... It's like a video game. He specializes in ops. He's a specialized ops agent who has, who has sneaked, fought, and spied his way through an entire franchise of games. Number 44, Green. He appears in Sandman. 43, Conan. Created by Robert E. Howard. Here's number 42, Cloud Strife. Final Fantasy 7, looks like, is in. John Crichton in Farscape. Number 41. Number 40, John Luke Picard, Captain Picard of Star Trek The Next Generation. <coughs> at number 40. 39, Beowulf, a legendary hero. Uh, I've seen the movie. I thought it was pretty good. Um, he's famously defeats the monsters Grendel and Grendel's mother, becoming king. Number 38, Fritz William Darcy, Pride and Prejudice. Number 37, Iron Man, created by Stan Lee. 36. Uh, <laughs> okay. Can't pronounce this. It's pronounced C T U C T U H L U H L H U. He is a elder god who sleeps beneath the sea. Waiting for his hor horrific return to the waking world. Okay. Um, Mario, number 35. 34, Severus Snape from the Harry Potter series. <coughs> number 33, Gandalf from the Lord of the Rings. 32, Articus Finch in To Kill a Mockingbird. 
He is a law, lawmaker and an attorney and presents unwavering morality and goodness alongside strength and honor. Number 31, Laurel, Laurel Roslin, Battlestar Galactica. It's supposed to be the later one. I don't remember her in the original series. <clears throat> oh yes, number 30, The Joker. Batman's, de Batman's Demented Nemesis. <laughs> Played by some brilliant actors. Um, Cesar Romero in the TV series. And then uh, Jack Nicholson in the Batman movie. And then Heath Ledger in The Dark Knight. Aragorn in the Lord of the Rings trilogy. 28, Odysseus, and, and the hero of Homer's Odyssey in Greek mythology. Number 27, Elizabeth Bennet in Pride and Prejudice. Twenty-six, Scarlett O'Hara in Gone with the Wind. says here she was the kind of character women young young and old could appreciate she wasn't afraid to go after what she wanted even if it was going against standardized codes of the hover day this woman was fearless and remains a personal hero of me that's from uh, a voter number 25 King Arthur Number 24, Kara Starbuck Trace in Battlestar Galactica. She was Starbuck's updated version, male version, in the, in the latest the latest Battlestar Galactica. It says here, we counted the votes for Kara Trace by adding together the votes for just Starbuck with the ones that specify Kara and we counted the votes for the original Starbuck by adding them together the votes for just Starbuck with the ones that specify the original Battlestar Galactica series she received an overwhelming majority of these votes number 23 Merlin in the King Arthur legend 22 Robin Hood 21 Wolverine Marvel Comics. He's originally a violent hero without a memory or past. He evolved into a developed character so popular that he had invaded nearly every comic Marvel comic book series. Malcolm Reynolds on uh, I think it's on Firefly and Serenity, and later he was on the actor was on uh, was on Castle. <coughs> Frodo Baggins, at number nineteen. Homer Simpson, number eighteen. He's been around for a long time. Frankenstein's monster, created by Mary Shelley. 
16 is Hamlet. Number 15, Han Solo, Harrison Ford. My computer decided to quit. I don't know why. <laughs> okay, trying to get this working again here. Sorry about that. It's not working. Sorry about that. My computer decided to freeze up on me. So I'm got the Han Solo. 14, Luke Skywalker. Number 14. 13 is Captain James T. Kirk from the Star Trek series. Number 12, James Bond 007. Number 12. 11 is Dracula, created by Bram Stoker. Almost there. <laughs> okay. Indiana Jones, the number 10, again by Harrison Ford. Number 9, Mr. Spock, played by Leonard Nimoy. Number 8, Harry Potter. Number 7, the Spider Man. Number 6, oh, Darth Vader. says he's one of the most recognizable and feared villains in the history of cinema. Everything from his iconically raspy breathing to his sinister and quasi-robotic, quasi-samurai character design leads him to air of immense evil. Putting the prequels to the side, he's the ultimate bad guy and has not been matched in film for over 30 years. Five, Sherlock Holmes, created by Arthur and Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Number four, the Doctor, the Doctor Who series. Well collected input from hundreds of visitors to the site. Convention attendees and industry professionals to compare to compile least one of the 100 greatest fictional characters of all time. Number three is Buffy Summers from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Sarah Michelle Giller.
number two. Getting there, Superman. Created in 1938. Had mem has numer. He's had numeral. Num he's had numerable movies. And the new one's coming out, uh, coming out soon, called The Man of Steel. He's in number two. And number... Is that it? Hold on. Number two. Number one is... Batman. Alright. Cool. Yeah, Batman has around, been around since 1939. He appeared in Detective Comics number 27. It's no huge surprise to all of us that the Cape Crusader is the top character in our list of the tech greatest fictional characters as voted by our readers. This is uh, fandom.com, fandom by the way. From his first appearance in Detective Comics number 27 in 1939, through his current movie dynasty, cartoon series, and comic books. Batman has been an enduring hero for, for the ages. His origins and storylines have influenced future comic heroes towards darker tales. And his, ro and his rogues gallery has redefined the importance of entertaining and engaging the villains. Batman's cultural impact is evident and unquestionable. So there you have it. Says here, Batman is the most self-explanatory as a choice for number one. He is vengeance, he is the knight, but he is also the very best and worst of humanity distilled. Who else is a cold-blooded badass <laughs> and a sensitive loner? Who else is an unforgiving and merciful everyday life is our Gotham? And Batman is the innate sense of justice that we all feel deep down when someone picks on the little guy. He is simply the best and, and normal human can be. So there you go. That is the top 100 characters of all time. Which is very cool. Let's see here. Um, I could have picked a few more. <laughs> um, let me see. I'm trying to think of some. Uh, like, for instance, Clint Eastwood's characters for the years. Um, starting out on Rawhide of Rowdy Yates. Um, then moving on to the spaghetti westerns he was in. Uh, the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, A Fistful of Dollars, and for a few dollars more. Um, in a lot of movies he's been in. Um, Dirty Harry movies. Um, uh, what else? Um, Space Cowboys he was in. I like that movie. 
he's an all-around actor you know he can play any part that he wants to uh, it makes it convincing he has a lot a lot of movies to his credit um, I remember as they were showing uh, the creature from the black oh a creature from the black Lagoon movie a few weeks ago on TV and he had a small very small part in that movie um, he was a research assistant um, at this uh, aquarium and he also made a very very brief appearance in the movie tarantula if you remember that part he was one of the pilots uh, who uh, was shooting at the tarantula Well gifted actor, um, great actor, I like his movies, um, my favorite movie of his all time is For A Few Dollars More, it was Lee Van Cleef, um, great movie. So anyway, um, I like Clint Eastwood. You know, like I said, I like those movies. Um, great actor, you know. He's been around for a long time. <laughs> um, another one, um, I'm trying to think of others uh, that they could have included in uh, in those uh, List. Um, another one um, they could have included <laughs> was uh, Godzilla. Um, he's been around since 1954. Um, been a lot of movies. Um, <clears throat> he's being re he's being re. Re resurrected uh, for next year uh, in 2014. Uh, I've got this website I've been looking at called, uh, if you want to check it out sometime, it's called uh, Godzilla 2014. I think it's called. You can go there um, and get updates on the progress in the movie. That's going to be made by uh, Legendary Pictures and Warner Brothers. It just gives you updates, uh, you know, what's going on as far as the movie being made. Um, let's see. Let's see. The writer is going to be Frank Darabont from The Shawshank Redemption. That would be pretty good. Um, pretty good movie. So anyway, um, we shall see. Um, I know it's not going to be anything like um, 
91. It came out in the 90s. Uh, the lizard-looking Godzilla. You know. <laughs> uh, you know, it was a good movie. It just... Uh, anyway. That's when it could include um, the Godzilla. Another one, um, kind of talked about more, um, there's a lot of them out there, um, as far as fictional characters, you know, um, I'm sure you have a lot out there that could be included. Um, let me think, I'm trying to think of something right quick. <laughs> Um, C-3PO, for instance, we know how his origin started. Uh, he was created by Anakin Skywalker. Uh, R2-D2, for that matter. Um, you know, those two, they've always gone together as buddies. C-3PO and R2-D2. You know, there's a lot of them you could talk about. I know you have your favorites. I know there's some that weren't included in this. Um, I could have talked about Scotty from Star Trek. Also. Um, I'm looking forward to the new Star Trek movie. It looks and sounds like something pretty good. And I'm looking forward to Godzilla coming out next year. There's a lot of movies, you know, that I've read off, I've been reading, uh, they're coming out. Some sound good, some sound not so good. Uh, there's still talk, there's still in the works about uh, the, Justice League, the Justice League movie coming out. Uh, there's going to be another Thor movie, I understand. Uh, there's going to be another Iron Man movie coming out, Iron Man 3. So there's a lot of a lot of things coming out there, you know. Every time you turn around, there's always a movie coming out about this, this, and this, you know, and about this person or that person or this superhero or that villain, you know, stuff like that. So you know, check out a movie this week. Um, like I read off, there's a lot of movies coming out this weekend and in the next few months. So, in that, I will be closing another segment. I thank you for listening to me. I hope you enjoy these podcasts on jazelmon.com. Um, we try to do our best. Um, a lot of times, I know I wing it. <laughs> I'm sure uh, <clears throat> my other colleagues wing it. You know, there's not really a script to this. It just, you know, whatever comes to mind. So with that, I will close for now. Uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Like I said, if you're back east and you're listening to this, stay warm. Keep out of the cold. Um, 
and take care of each other and we will talk again soon till then this is Larry Walton your Saturday segments host God bless take care and we will talk to you again soon Bye for now. All right, kids. That was fun. Okay. Uh, you know, uh, it's it's always interesting to look back on these shows because they've happened so long ago. And, and Saturday Segments was, uh, you know, a very Hollywood-esque show. So a lot of their content is kind of outdated, but it's still kind of fun to look back and, and think about where you were during that time. Okay, let's go ahead and pull another show. And this one will be... Uh, my my new system isn't working as great as I was hoping. Sorry. Okay. This one is... Who's the Boss? Number 41. The way it was meant to be. It says, originally released August 3rd, 2016. Who's the Boss returns after a very long absent with new co-host Alan Russo. And they talk about the movie biz. All right, kids. Let's see what I have to yammer about this time. So let's go ahead and sit back and relax and enjoy. Put your feet up. Get comfy. Because I like to talk. And Who's the Boss, number 41, the way it was meant to be. Welcome to Who's the Boss. I am David K. Montoya. I'm Alan Russo. All right, kids. I know it's been a long, long time since we've had Who's the Boss. This is actually episode number one. But for the first time in a long, long time, actually, I think it was back in 2013 when my, my best friend Alan Russo sat down with me. But Al is here. He's going to be a regular contributor. This is the way that Who's the Boss was meant to be. It's him and I. Uh, the reason why this is relevant is because we're two former CEOs. I'm a former CEO of the MythWorks Corporation, and Alan is former CEO of the New Blood Films Company, and are you you're currently still CEO of ZombieWorks, or is ZombieWorks on the shelf? Al? All right. So, there's this new movie coming. There's a movie coming now. Well, before you what? jump into the movie, can can you hear yeah. me okay? Yeah. Okay. I was asking about ZombieWorks. Oh, I didn't hear you for a second. Oh, no worries. Uh, one thing also for the listeners, I'm here in Southern California, and Al is in the South, in Arkansas. So we are doing this. I have it hooked up to my iPhone, to the soundboard, to the computer. It's a big-ass mess, so we he might not hear everything I say. So I'll go ahead and say this again. I was asking if you... Um, were still the CEO of ZombieWorks, or have... Oh, yeah. Okay. So he is yeah, I'm actively. Still CEO. I'm still I'm still doing that. Okay. See, because for me, actively, I am not doing anything CEO wise anymore. Not for right for anything. So that's well, see, for for ZombieWorks, it's been you know it's been slow, but we're we're trying to get back into it. 
Okay, so you are actually planning to do something with Zombieverse. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, we're we're planning on we're planning on coming out with another anthology. Not sure exactly what yet. We're, we'll get to that when that time comes. All right. Well, we can definitely talk about that more on the air. So, okay, you were getting ready to say. Well, let me let me further explain to a listener that uh, you your big thing is movies. You 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 are a writer, producer, director of movies. You you know you own New Blood Films. Uh, which was your movie production company. So your big thing is movies. That's what you have your eye on as far as business-wise, is you see yeah. you see the the movie business things, correct? Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Everything you know, everything I do is about movies. If not, you know, if it's not movies, it's horror in general. Gotcha. Whether it's you know vampires, zombies, werewolves, it don't matter. Mummies, who cares? Right. Anything for good. Anything for a good scare. So, that being said, yeah, go ahead. This this, this new movie's coming out. It comes out October seventh this year. Oh, this year. Okay. Uh, this year, yeah. Unfortunately, you know, and I didn't know this until just the other day. It's actually the fifth installment of the Phantasm series. Which, if you've never seen the Phantasm series, I, I suggest you go and look for it. It's a great series. A little odd, but it's a, it's a great series. This is the first one they've done in 17 years. They, they started the first one in 1979. Well, this one's supposed to be the final chapter. I'm, I'm, I don't know, I'm kind of glad to see them finally wrap it up. And this is one of those movies that you go out and you just, you don't realize that when you see the fourth one, it just doesn't give it a very good ending. Oh, really? That was Oblivion, yeah. right? No, that, yes, that was Oblivion. Okay. Nah, the fourth okay. one was Oblivion. Um, you know, and it, it gives it a good ending, but it still doesn't leave me closure. Gotcha. So, with this one coming out in October, I don't know if it's going to be, I'm pretty sure it's going to be straight to DVD. Um, but it's pretty much, they're finally closing the chapter. They're closing, they're, they're bringing it all together. They're bringing back the original cast, and you know they're they're finally going to close the story, and I and I'm glad. Well, I think it's a good 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 call too, and it was kind of lucky if you sit and think about it because um, what's his name? Um, Angus Scrim, you know the tall man. Yes, he died last year. So yes, he died. Yeah, he died last year, but this was all. This is also his final film. He actually filmed this right before he, he finished filming right before he passed away. That's crazy. Yeah, so th- it's one of those, you know, he played the tall man and all of them, and he's an underrated actor, in my opinion. Because he was always one of those, he was creepy without ever saying a word. Right. It was all and then when he, facial. Right. And then when he did say something, it was even creepier. Because he had that really deep voice. Now, a lot of it was, you know, some of it was auto-tuned, but, and you can tell, but it's one of those good grindhouse films. All, the original four were always one of those good grindhouse films. Those low-budget, you know, and and there's a website, there's a uh, site on Facebook called, uh, I believe it's uh, Grindhouse Movies and VHS Sleeves. Yeah, I, I invited and, you to that, remember? I'm the one... Right. 
And, yeah. you know, I've been watching that. I've been looking at their, what a lot of people post, and a lot of people don't realize that Grindhouse is just pretty much anything with a low-budget picture. Right. It doesn't necessarily have to be horror. But 90% of your Grindhouse movies are horror. And that's where this falls into. But, to me, growing up in the 80s and the 90s, those were the best movies. Because these were the guys, you know, that did the Grindhouse, even the the movies from the 70s, you know, look at the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre. That's considered a Grindhouse film. So everything, you know, to me, that's the genre. Because you don't have to have a $40 million budget to make a good movie. No, no. You just need good actors and a good story. Exactly. I mean, look at Halloween. Halloween, is, you know, is one of the biggest movies of 1978. I'm looking when, at... You know... Go ahead. Everybody knows that movie. I mean, Rob Zombie remade that movie. And their budget was $100,000. So, I mean... The original you, was 100000 Yes, the original was 100000 And, you know, that, that falls into the grindhouse. And, you know, when you look at that, you know, and you look at the, follow, the cult following that Halloween has, and even the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre, you know, and even Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part 2, it, you look at it and you're just, you know, you're in awe because you don't realize how little of a budget they had to film a good movie like that. Right. I'm sitting here, I'm actually on IMDb right now, and I'm looking at his, he was almost 90 years old when he died. Um, Yeah, I didn't know that. Oh, actually, and he died this year. I thought he died last year, but it was this year. He died January January 9th of this year. Um, On the 19th of this month, he would have been 90 years old. Wow. Yep. You know, and, you know, and my, and my big thing is like, you know, when we talk about grindhouse movies, grindhouse movies, you know, even like Phantasm. Phantasm is one of my all-time favorites. You know, it, most people, you know, they, they look at it and they're like, this movie just sucks. Well, that's because you don't understand, you know, people that think that, they don't understand what the true meaning of the movies are. Right. It, not necessarily the fact that, you know, they kind of bounce around. They don't really make a whole lot of sense because they really don't. But in the end, death is always lurking. That's the whole point of the entire series. It doesn't matter what form it comes in, but you're going to die. <laughs> and that was, and that was really the whole premise of the, of the Phantasm series. Right. You know, because if you really think about it, you know, he goes to these small towns, and, you know, he always went to the small towns, you know, population 500, you know, 1,000 people, you know, or smaller, you know, and those are the towns he hit, because those are the towns that are most vulnerable to the outside world. Because if you look at some of your smaller towns, I mean, even here in Arkansas, California, Florida, it doesn't really matter. A town that's at the size of a thousand people, it's usually 20, 30, or 40 miles away from the nearest population that's big enough for any type of treatment. 
Right. I mean, you know, hospitalized. I mean, I work and live in a small town that's got about 12,000 people. Well, anything we have to do, if you, you know, and, and this is a big thing too, is like, in our town, if you, if you're pregnant, you have to go 50 miles away to the nearest hospital that has the facilities to deliver your baby. And from where I live. Right. And that's, right. And that's, you know, that's ridiculous. Because, I mean, yeah, there's, you know, we have a hospital here in our town. There's another hospital 30 minutes away, but they don't have the facilities. Right. <clears throat> I mean, you know, you do a major, let, let's say, you know, major car accident. They have to, usually they have to fly them to Little Rock, which is two hours away from me, which is ridiculous. And, you know, and that's, and that's what I think a lot of the premise for Phantasm was is you look at that you look at that because the small towns you know if you live in a small town it equals death right because small towns across America at that time were dying people are moving out of small towns moving into the suburbs and I think that's what the I really honestly I think that's what they were getting to when they made that movie. To make you understand, you know, you live in a small town, you know, it's a, it's a death trap. Because, I mean, yeah, some small towns, you know, that are 10, 10,000 people, some of those have grown over the years. They flourished because of where they're located. But most of them are ghost towns. Yeah. And, you know, people don't think about that. I mean, Apple Valley, California. Okay, when I was out there, when I was living out there 16 years ago, it wasn't nothing but a Target and a couple of grocery stores. <laughs> yeah. That was pretty much it. You know, now, when I was out there last year, it's grown tremendously. Oh, yeah. You know, and especially, you know, right down the road from where I used to live, you know, there's a lot there now that was wasn't even there. It was all, it was, there's nothing there. But now it's grown. It's got more things. And, right. you know, it's starting to flourish. But at the same time, look at its location. Right. Uh-huh. You know, you're an hour and a half from L.A. You know, Barstow is not that far. But you're kind of right in the middle. So, you know, but most of your, but it, for most people, that's where they want to move to, because they want to move out of LA and Pasadena and Encino, and they want to move further away from downtown LA. But they want to, but they still want to be close, live close enough that the commute's not that bad. I'm sitting here looking. Because you made me curious about uh, Apple Valley, and yeah, I think we're like Apple Valley is like a hundred and sixty nine thousand one hundred and thirty five population. So yeah, we've grown in the last sixteen years, right? And see, a lot of people don't understand, and that's what you know. And I think. The big thing, you know, and I always reference 
phantasm on this because I grew up in a small town in Florida. Right. Population of, population of about 12,000 people. At last estimated, last estimate in that town alone, and, you know, that's not just within the city limits, that's just, you know, what they consider, you know, the town itself, it's grown to over 100,000 people. Oh, wow. You know, and that's in 30 years, 36 years. It's grown that much. But a lot of people are, a lot of people are moving out of Tampa and moving up that direction. And so, you know, that's what they're doing because they're moving in that direction because it's easier to commute to Tampa than pay $900 for an apartment in Tampa when you can pay 650 for an apartment in Brooksville. And drive an hour to work every day. And to me, that makes more sense. I would rather drive an hour to work and save myself $300 a month in rent than try to deal with the traffic every morning and all that good stuff. Right. Um, let's see. I got a couple things for you while you were talking. I looked up. Uh, Phantasm 5, The Ravager, is actually, it will be in theaters October 7th. Okay. And. See, I didn't. See, so I was looking for that and I could not, I could never find if it was going to be in theaters or it was going to go straight to DVD. And I also found out, as I'm looking through, um, so it turns out that J.J. Abrams, you know, Bad Robot, and, uh, he did, you know, Star Trek, Star Wars. Uh, right. He is overseeing a 4K restoration of all of the Phantasm movies. So the Phantasm movies are coming out in Blu-ray. That is going to be awesome. For a fan like me, that's going to be great. And if you, like I said, if you've never seen it, check it out. What's a good heart? Either you like it or you don't. Right. Doesn't hurt my feelings, man. It's, I know it's a fan plug, but you know those are the movies I grew up watching. Those were my those were my go-to horror, horror films. If I wanted something that I haven't seen in a long time or that was hard to find, I always looked for Phantasm. Because not every video store in the eighties and even in the nineties had those. Right. Well, not too many people, like you said, it it, it was. Um it, it built into a cult following, is what it did. Right, and, and then there's a lot. There's a lot of other movies that are that way. And, you know, Phantasm is one of them. You know, um, Friday the Thirteenth. Yeah, it, it's considered mainstream, now but it had a cult following at first. Right. Well, yeah. you know, but everybody, but everybody knows what it is. Everybody's seen it. You know, they show it. Every Friday the 13th, they show a few of them. It doesn't matter what channel you watch. There's always some channel on cable that's showing Friday the 13th. That's I mean, just last weekend, IFC had a Friday the 13th, or a, they called it the 80s movie marathon. But they showed Friday the 13th, 1 through 8. Oh, really? Back to back. Which I thought was kind of interesting. Just a few, just not too long ago, probably back in June, maybe first of July, somewhere in that area, you know, 
um, sci-fi had shown all the Friday the 13th movies, including Jason X and Jason Goes to Hell. Hmm. And they rotated in and out with a new one. And then they played Freddy vs. Jason. You know, and that's another movie that had a huge cult following back in the early 90s with everybody wanting to see Freddy vs. Jason. Because the way Jason goes to hell ended, you know, everybody's like, ooh, there's going to be a Freddy vs. Jason. Well, it took them 15 years, you know, longer to come out with it. When, when they finally did, it made money. Oh, yeah. Because everybody wanted to see it because it was a big, huge fan base. Like, you know, it didn't matter what time of spectrum you are. You wanted to see it. You want to see who wins. Well, and that's the thing about, you know, as far as market in Hollywood is if if you want to make a surefire moneymaker, make a horror flick. Because a horror flick makes more money than any other movie out there. It's it's like a, almost a guaranteed win. Unless exactly. you're unless you're Marvel and DC, then that they're they're pretty much just printing their own money. But as far as like us independent filmmakers, if you want to make a movie and you want to make sure you get some type of return on it, you make a horror film. Right. Because it doesn't matter who you talk to, there's going to be at least one horror fan. Oh, definitely. There's at least, on average, one in five people are a horror fan. They might be a closet horror fan, but they're a horror fan. And right now, you know, right now is a time of remakes. And it doesn't matter, you know, and, and, and I'm going complete full genre here, you know, because right now they're fixing to remake Peach Dragon. Yeah, I've seen that. You know, they've remade Tarzan. They've remade Jungle Book. You know, just a few years, you know, no. less than seven years ago, they remade Friday the 13th. They remade The Nightmare on Elm Street. We don't talk about that on this show. <laughs> <laughs> You know, in, in in my opinion, okay, the, the remake of Nightmare on Elm Street, in my opinion, has its good qualities, but sucked. Oh yeah, it definitely sucked. I and actually, the only good the only good quality I think the whole movie had from the beginning was the simple fact that it was not afraid to say what the originals were afraid to at the time. Right. Other than that. It was a complete rip-off. You know, don't get me wrong, Jack Haley's a good, he's a good actor, but nobody can do Freddy like Robert Englund. In fact, I read something online that Robert England was going to come back, and pretty much he's going to do Freddy, uh, Freddy Krueger until he dies, essentially. I guess see, you know, it, you're right. And see, you know, that, and that's, like I said, that's my personal opinion. You know, if you don't like my opinion, I don't care. <laughs> but I know you agree with me. Okay. Robert England made the best Freddy. Oh, yes, definitely. And when it came to Friday the 13th, in my personal opinion, Kane Hodder. I mean, you, you couldn't be, you know, he, had, he just had that presence. Yes. As, as Jason. I mean, it was just, you know, he, he just, he had that build, he had that presence. It was just, you know, 
it, to me, he was one of those that just, he stood out amongst the rest. And, you know, that's, like I said, you know, my personal opinion. But, you know, and it's like when they remade Halloween, okay, the, the upside and the downside with the remake of Halloween, Rob Zombie did a great job. Don't get me wrong. But when it comes to Dr. Loomis, you cannot replace Donald Pleasant. No, you can't. You, you can't. I totally agree. I mean, you can emulate him as much as, you, as much as humanly possible, but you can't replace him. Yeah, he's kind of like, um, also Donald Pleasant, he did, uh, oh shit, what's his name? Uh, the main bad guy in James Bond. Yeah. You know who I'm talking about? I, yeah, I can't make it off the top of my head. But, yeah, you just can't. You can't replace them. Right. I mean, there, there are certain people you just you just can't replace. I mean, you know, you can emulate, but you can't replace. I totally agree. I mean, you know, and, and it's like that with a lot of movies. You know, a lot of actors, especially actors that have done the same character for years. You know, I mean, you create a character around a person, you know, and then that character comes to life because of this person. Well, if you change the actor, you've changed the character. It doesn't matter how you look at it. You change the actor, you change the character. Because they're not going to do it the same. I agree. I totally agree. Now, with Friday the 13th, it was a little different because you never really knew who the actor was. It was a different actor for each film, for the most part. But, you know, when you get into the later films with Kate Hodder, you, you feel a different presence. Yeah, more more um, aggressive. Right, it was more, you know, you felt, you know, his anguish, you felt his despair. You know, it wasn't just a guy behind the mask. Oh, yeah, I totally agree. I mean, you, you, you really felt that really deep despair. It wasn't, you know, you felt like, you know, like with the originals, you know, the first few and stuff like that, you always felt like, okay, he's just chasing around because he's pissed off. Well, when he came about, you could really, just the way he walked and stuff like that, you could really feel that, you know, he misses his mother. You know, that's why he's doing what he's doing, because he's trying to, you know, it makes him feel better about her her dying. And, you know, that's why he came back to revenge her death and stuff like that. And you can feel that in his character. And that's the one thing I loved about his performance. Yeah, he, he don't say a word. He just walks and kills. But you just the way he did it. Let's see. Is that you know, it's like it's like with Tall Man in Phantasm. His presence. He didn't have to say a word, but you could feel, you know, him you could just feel him breathing down your neck. Uh I'm on and it was just one of those Go ahead. It was one of those, you know, when you when you feel his, he just the the just the omnis of the film 
and watching the tall man be who he is without saying a word. You just, you, you feel it. You don't, you know, it's not one of those, just because you watch this film, you can feel what he's trying to come across. And that's why I consider him an underrated actor. Because he was stereotyped. Right. As the tall man. And there's a lot of actors, there's a lot of actors out there that are, that are that way. They get typecast. And they get typecast. And they get typecast. You know, Robert England is another good one. He played Freddy for so long that when he done other films, you're just like, I don't like it. I'm so used to him being Freddy. Right. You know, but his typecast roles are always in a horror film. He, you know, very rarely did he, did he do anything outside of horror. So that was one of those, you look at it and you're like, well, shit. <laughs> you know, it's a good film. It's Robert England. Of course, it's good for the most part, but just it doesn't settle. Right. Because you're not used to seeing him without the makeup. Yeah, I agree. And that, that's probably one of the scariest things that is, is the makeup. Right. I mean, in, you know, in Hollywood right now, they're trying to make as much money right now on horror films. I mean, they just remade Poltergeist. I haven't even watched it yet. That's all right. I've heard it's okay. I haven't watched it. I haven't recorded. I just haven't had the time to sit down and watch it. Because I'm afraid I'm going to be disappointed. Uh, that was actually Lacey and I's last movie together, was Poltergeist. Uh, because I'm, you know, it, it's mainly because I'm a big fan of the original. It's, it's, it's alright. I've seen it once, and that, that's enough for me. Right. And, you know, the other thing Hollywood's big, big bucks on right now is war films. I mean, they just come out with American Sniper, Lone Survivor. You know, a few years ago, it was Active Valor. Right. The Hurt Bunker. They're making huge bucks on more films. Okay, being a vet, I'm honored and disgusted at the same time. Because they're glorifying something that's not to be glorified. You know, I understand, you know, this is a part of life. People don't want to talk about it, so they're going to put it in film. Right. But at the same time, you know, when you've lived through that, it's something, there's something there that you don't want to relive. I mean, you know, you see things in the movie that you're like, you know, I know what that's like. You know, I don't want to relive it. And they're great movies. But for people with PTSD, and I've got, you know, I've got friends that have PTSD, Due to the war in Iraq and Afghanistan, they watch these movies and they cannot go to a theater and see them. Right. They have to be at home in their comfort zone because when the bombs go off and the bombs blast, they're, they're jumping out of their seat and they're freaking out. I, I, yeah, they're big budget, they're big budget movies, but you've got to think of the people coming home. 
Yeah, I could see that. I could totally see that. And, you know, to me, you know, and, and, I, and I understand Hollywood completely. They're trying to make a buck. Everybody's trying to make a buck in this life. So what I do you mean, think... But, go ahead. No, you go ahead. I was going to say, what do you think is a, a bigger draw as far as uh, box office? Do you think it's war movies or do you think it's horror films? I think the biggest draw right now is comic book movies. Well, yeah. Because, I mean, that's the biggest draw for Hollywood right now. It's comic book movies. I mean, come on, they're coming out Death Squad. Mm-hmm. I mean... You mean Suicide Squad? Suicide Squad. Suicide Squad. Forgive me. They're coming out Suicide Squad. They just came out Batman vs. Superman. They just came out with Man of Steel just a few years ago. They just come out with X-Men Apocalypse. That was horrible. I, I, I have to I mean, you, that was horrible. And you I, know, I haven't even seen it yet. You know how I feel about X-Men, and you know how I feel about right. X-Men movies, and you know how I feel about Brian Singer X-Men movies. Well, that was a right. Brian Singer X-Men movie. <laughs> that's all I have to I say. I mean, right. And see, and that's the thing. You know, everybody's, right now, everybody's jumping on the, the comic book bandwagon. You know, just in the last few years, you had the Avengers, Captain America Civil War, Captain America, you know, the Winter Soldier, Captain America the First Avenger, you know, um, Back in the early 2000s, Hulk, the Incredible Hulk, X-Men, X-Men 2, X-Men 3. Then they're coming out, you know, redoing the Batman movies, Superman movies. I seen, um, last week, I seen Batman the Killing Joke, you know, because that was rated R. Yeah. That was amazing. It was just, it was so good. I think if they, see, if they didn't make it rated R, it would have sucked. It really would have. Right. And see, and that's the thing, you know, we, we're the generation that grew up reading the original Batman, Superman, X-Men comics. Right. You know, we were there when the transition went over from, you know, cheesy, CD-friendly comics to the darker side. Yeah, the, yeah. And that's, and that, we, we grew up in that transition of the comic book franchise. Then they get darker and darker and darker, and as we got older, we're like, why? It doesn't make any sense. You know, we were, because we were the generation where they first got dark, which right. we understood. Generation X and Generation Y understood that, or the early generations of Generation Y understood that. You know, because we were in the we were in the frame of teenage angst. I mean, you know, you had Nirvana, you had all the bands. You know, Alice in Chains, Nine Inch Nails. You had all the bands that started grunge. You know, and even changed heavy metal in that perspective. Oh yeah. You know, we grew up. We grew up in that era, and. You know, looking back on it now, you know, going back and watching Man of Steel and the Captain America movies and stuff like that, they're good, but they're trying to make them too kid-friendly. Yeah, they're making them campy. 
they're going back to the old style of how the original comic books were. It's like a lot of people, I, I haven't seen it yet. I've been dying to see it, but I haven't had the time. Deadpool. Oh, you I've haven't seen Deadpool? I've heard a lot of people say that it's awesome. No, I have not seen it yet. Oh, yeah, it is it is really, really good. I've heard a lot of people say it's really good, and I've heard a lot of people say, you know, it's very adult. Oh, it is. It is. It's definitely, it's actually one of those movies, because I have it on Blu-ray, and um, I won't let Jay or Zoe watch it, because it's definitely a rated R movie. And see, and that, and that's the, and that's the kind of comic books we grew up with, was the darker, more adult yeah. comic books. And, you know, and that's what I, from what I understand about Deadpool, it falls along those lines that we grew up with. Yeah, lots of blood, there's even a sex scene, lots of cussing. Um, right. And, you know, that's the kind of comic book movies I want to see. Oh yeah, definitely. I think that's I mean, why, it made, like, what, almost a billion dollars? Let me look right. that up. Right. I mean, you know, and I'm like you, I'm a huge X-Men fan. I've always been an X-Men fan. But I want to see X-Men go in the direction of the comic book. Darker, more adult. Oh, yeah. I want to see it transition over like they did Deadpool. That's my thing. I want to see that transition. Well, see, and that's the thing, is um, if anybody reads the comic book that um, of the X-Men, they're not kiddie, campy books. They're very dark, mature books. Yes, they are. And, and you know, I'm looking at Deadpool's numbers domestically. We're just talking domestic. Uh, they made $363,070,709. That's just, so almost a half a billion dollars, um, here in the States. We're not even talking about anywhere else. Exactly. Just because, that's because that's what people won't see. And then, foreign, they made $419,532,736. So total worldwide, they made uh, $782,603,445. So they made three quarters of a billion dollars making a rated exactly. R comic book movie. Exactly. Because most of the people that are in the comic books right now and have always been in comic books are adults. They're not children. Yeah. I mean, when you go to, when you go to Comic-Con, very rarely do you see children. 90% are adults. 90%. Oh, I agree. Totally. The other 10%, you know, about half are teenagers. Yeah. And the rest are children. Children you know, probably take up about 1%, honestly. Give or take, yeah. And that's not, you know, but that doesn't also include, you know, the infants that get dragged along because their parents want to go and, you know, they have no choice or say so in the matter and things right. of that nature. But about 1% is about, you know, about 1% is small, small children. Right. You know, 
But you look at that, you know, you when you go to Comic-Con, I mean, look at cosplay. Okay, Comic-Con is the world's worst for people playing cosplay. They dress up. I'm fine with that. If you want to do it, that's your business. But look at the industry that it's created. Comic-Con has created cosplay. Yeah. If you really sit down and think about it. And cosplay is a multi-million dollar industry for young adults. Because they get to go to Comic-Con and dress up as their favorite superheroes or their favorite villain. Yeah, that makes total sense. And, I mean, but what started, what I think really kicked that off was actually, you know, going back in the 70s and the 80s was Star Wars. Because when they came out, when they redid A New Hope, when they came out back out with episode four of Star Wars in the 90s, most people who went to the midnight showing were dressed up as Darth Vader, Luke, Han, Leia. That's what really started cosplay, was the die-hard uh, Star Wars fans. Right. You know, but those were the same fans, you know, even when they, even when they started to come out with the new Star Trek movies, okay, the ones that dressed up were die-hard Star Trek fans. That's what started the cosplay movement. Because when you went to Comic-Con back in the 90s, the most of the people that were dressed up were either dressed up Star Wars characters or Star Trek characters. That was it. There was no in-between. Hmm. Yeah, that's true. And, well, no, that's not, know, that's not true at, because there is... Um, a lot of people, it doesn't have the following of Star Wars or Star Trek. It's um, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Well, yes, but I'm I'm talking about you know when you go back to the to mid '90s. Well, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy actually came out in the '80s. I've known about it since like '85. Right. But yeah, I it, mean, it didn't make it didn't. Uh, shit, what was it? The movie didn't come out until like mid two thousands, right? They did. See, that's what I'm getting at, because like you know, because the when you went because like you know that's what I'm getting at. When you go to Comic Con, when you originally went to Comic Con back in the in the nineties and you know in the mid to early to mid nineties, right? And when you went to a Comic Con, you didn't really see you know yeah you saw here and there people dressed up as their favorite characters, but ninety percent of what you see ninety to ninety five percent of what you've seen with Star Trek or Star Wars. But see, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy pretty much had a cult following until the movie came out. If you didn't know about it, nobody knew about it. Yeah, because it was more of a... um, I'm trying to think what year it was, but I know it came out... It was a a TV, mini TV uh, in England. I think it was BBC. Um, Because, you know, Douglas Adams... Uh, the creator, he, he is from England, so, you know, they did that in 80 something. I, I'm looking here on IMDb, I found the movie, the movie came out in 2005. Right. Which was pretty good. Um, 
they obviously for a movie they cut a lot out. Right. Well, I mean, even if you even if you go back now, I mean, go back to the you know go all the way back to the seventies and eighties, Battlestar Galactica. Okay, right. it had a huge cult following from our generation because we grew up watching the originals. Right. Then you know, not that long ago, they remade the series. Now it's got a bigger cult following. Okay, that, and that's one of the major, that, you know, that, that's a major player. Because, I mean, you know, when you, when you talk about cult followings, you know, Battlestar Galactica was a big one. Um, and here's another TV, sh- and, and, you know, going back to TV shows, that has a big cult following that most people don't remember. I don't know if you remember it or not, it's Greatest American Hero. Oh, yeah. Believe it or not, I'm walking on... I, yeah, I really remember the... Exactly. Thing. I've been looking... I found it one time, and I cannot find it, and it's hard to find now. It's the box set that had the whole series. Oh, that would be awesome. I've been looking for it and looking for it and looking for it. Walmart had it at one time, and they don't anymore. I wish I would have bought them at the time. Because that was one of those, it was loosely based on a comic book, but not exactly. Well, see, I was just a little, little boy watching that. So that was before I even got into comic books. So I don't even know what comic book it was based on. Right. You know, and, you know, and there's a lot of comic books, and, and either, there's a lot of movies out there even now that are, you're not quite sure if the, the, Movies based on a comic book, or if the comic book's based on the movie. Right, right. I mean, oh, and to, Ninja Turtles. to answer your question real fast, um, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy came out in 1981 on BBC. It was uh, um, many uh, several episodes. Huh. It was. I used to have them on uh, VHS back in the day. <laughs> right. You know. Okay, and then, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, that's what you were saying. And, so, and, here's, and here's another interesting fact, too. You know, like, a lot of people now, you know, are here recently, have been talking about Doctor Who. You know, getting into Doctor Who. The original series came out in the 60s. You know, and now everybody's talking about, oh, you know, I've got to sit down and watch Doctor Who. I've got to catch up on Doctor Who. I'm like, are you watching the new one or the old one? Right. Which which you know, which season? And a lot, right. And a lot of people don't realize that there's you know, Doctor Who came out in the sixties. You know, and everyone's like, Oh no 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 you know but I'm I'm watching the new ones or you know, this one just aired, you know, two weeks ago. I was like, Okay, so you're watching the new series. Oh, I didn't know there was the original. Well yeah. You know, and that's the thing, you know, with, with today's generation especially, is today's generation doesn't understand the classics. Right. And it came out in you 1963. Right. So, you know, you're sitting here and, like, you know, Doctor Who, Battlestar Galactica, you know, a lot of these TV shows, you know, you sit there and you're like, you know, they're great shows. Even the remakes are fairly decent shows. Right. But the today's generation does not understand that these are remakes. They don't understand the original cult following that most of us had growing up. 
I mean, there's a there's a TV there was a TV show in Florida that I grew up watching every Saturday. What was it? Right after your morning cartoons, it came on about noon. It was called Doctor Paul Bear's Creature Feature. Oh, really? Yep. Every Saturday, he would come on, and he would show the old classic horror movies. You know, the old Bill and Gussie movies. The Lon Chaney movies. Oh, nice. You know, he would show those. But then he would show some of some of the newer stuff that came out in the 70s, even the 60s. You know, it wasn't just the old stuff. You know, some of it, some of the stuff he showed was like two or three years old. But was one of those went straight to VHS. And, you know, he opened up, you know, he opened up a show every, every Saturday. He opened up his coffin. He sat up and, you know, he did his little spill and then he went into the movie. Well, while you were watching your movie, he would pop up during commercial breaks and he'd have a little quid bit to say and then you'd go back to your movie and that's the way it was. And he'd always show two movies. And that was my Saturday morning. That was my Saturday afternoons was watching Dr. Paul Bear. Huh. And that's where I've got the, that's where I got my love for the classic horror movies. Right on. All right. You we know, are actually running out of time? I just got a, <laughs> a flash here. Um, let's see. Okay. Yeah. We got, yeah, we're, we're almost done. Um, I want to hit you with something before we get out of here. Um, this is from Bloomberg News. This, Bloomberg is one of my favorite places to get business news. And I know this, this is a very first world thing, but, um, as filmmakers, I, I think this will tickle your fancy as much as it tickled mine when I saw it. Are you ready for it? Yeah. Okay, here we go. Uh, title of it is, you can, you can now hire a Hollywood filmmaker to shoot your next vacation. It says, introducing the next must-have luxury travel souvenir. Filmmaker Tim Browning has worked on the sets of countless big-budget big budget blockbusters, such as Star Wars, Force Awakens, Skyfall, Spectre. But now he's setting his sights on a more personal projects. He has signed on to be an exclusive drone photographer for bespoke travel outfitter Black Tomato, a job that will have him crisscrossing the globe filming travelers from the skies. Among the things he might capture while heading back up to Black Tomatoes just launched Drone the World Interactive Travels on motorcycle tours of Ho Chi Minh City, sandboarding down the dunes of the Skeleton Coast, hitchhiking the Great Wall of China, or scaling a volcano in Iceland. Unlike major metropolitan areas, this iconic destination are among the places where drones are allowed to film freely. Couples looking for footage of their honeymoon in New York, however, well, they're out of luck on that one. Uh, it says, We find that working with Tim and other drone cameramen really add an extra dimension to uh, clients' travel experiences. 
says Tom Merchant, co-founder of Black Tomato. Now, why would anybody want to name their their business Black Tomato? I, I don't know about that one. I think they're I think you know, they're, they're going off a rotten tomato, maybe. I don't know. Maybe. I'm not sure. I mean, yeah, I wouldn't do it. Yeah. Um, and this is a great one. You ready for this? It is. What will it cost you? How much do you think it'll cost? You know. You have to repeat that. You, you broke up for a second. I said, how much do you think it'll cost to have a, a professional movie Hollywood uh, cinematographer film your vacation? How much money would it cost you? You're, you're probably looking at about fifteen, fifteen to $25,000. Actually, it's discounted. If you go through Black Tomatoes, it is nearly $5,500. That's the starting price, just for the weekend. So, uh, you know, Friday, Saturday. So the more days, like, if you actually go on, you know, a seven-day vacation, you're probably right. It'll probably cost you about 15, 20 grand. But for just a two-day vacation, it'll cost you $5,500. You see, why would, why, my thing is, why would you want to do that? Why would you want somebody to film your vacation? I mean, you know, in, in this world of reality TV, who cares? And I think that's what it boils down to, is everybody's into this reality TV. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's probably true. I mean, you know, if you're going to film your, you know, and you're, you're talking about my generation, you know, film your own vacation. That's the best way to do it, is film your own vacation. Because then you get the shots you want, you're not relying on somebody else to get the shots. Right. Well, that, and we have the technology now where, you know, like the iPhone, my iPhone shoots in 4K video, you know? You can get 4K cameras. You can get a pocket camera that shoots 4K for, like, a couple grand. And like you exactly. Just, and like you're saying, if you shoot it yourself, you know the shot, the angle that you want, and you won't be disappointed. And if you are, the only person that you'd be disappointed in is yourself. Exactly. But then you then look at all these GoPros. True. You know, if you really want to film your vacation, just have a GoPro to your head or to your chest, and you're, you're good to go. Yeah, see, I was... What are you viewing for the whole, the whole time you're on vacation? I, I don't know. They're waterproof. I don't know. I, I have a hard time with that myself actually sitting there thinking about it is because you're now again, this is just filmmaker thinking, but wouldn't you be more interested in like, okay, I want to get this type of shot of, you know, of your wife standing next to whatever monument. You know what I'm saying? You're more interested right. in preserving the shot than you are in the moment. So you're not even really going to enjoy the, exactly. uh, the, the vacation. As a, as a filmmaker, you know, you're always going to look for that perfect shot. Right. You know, you're not going to enjoy the moment as much as you're going to enjoy getting that perfect shot of that moment. And that's why I think, you know, having a cinematographer come in and film your vacation is a waste of time. Well, yeah. A waste of money. Because, again, now you're out, you don't have control of the shot. 
So you're going to try to set up shots for the cinematographer to take the shots. So, but you're still thinking about the shots. You're not enjoying the vacation. Exactly, and that and that's the, the and that's the what you know. And me as a filmmaker, you know, my upside with GoPros is, you know, when you when you strap on a GoPro, you don't have to think about the shot, right? Because you're because you're using it for POV purposes, point of view. Okay, you know, you film it as a documentary. You don't film it as you would a movie. TV show, you know, short clip, doesn't matter. With a GoPro, as a filmmaker, if you're going to film your vacations, if you're not going to do it with a handy cam, like in the old days, go with a GoPro. Right. Because you don't think about it. You strap it on and you go. It records everything you say. You can enjoy your moment and still possibly capture that perfect shot. Speaking of... Uh... Because... Project. Because you want to film it, because my thing is, you want to film it as you're doing it. Because you, you're trying to film it as a documentary, not a film. True, true. Now, if, if that's what you're doing, is you're shooting it for a documentary, you know, your vacation falls into the documentary, that makes sense. Okay, that makes total sense to me. Because it's part right. of a bigger project. But if you're just shooting it for shits and giggles, you're going to show, you know, your aunt and your uncle, you know, oh, this is what we did, you know. Shoot that shit on your phone and save you $5,500 up to $20,000, $25,000. Exactly. And that's why I said invest in GoPro. 150 bucks, you're good to go. You download it, you edit it yourself, boom, done. You can slap it on a DVD, slap it on Blu-ray. Put on dipstick. Right. Doesn't matter. Um, speaking of shooting shit yourself, I'm working on something, and it's not the mongers. I'm actually working on a new project. Project. I'm. Uh, I don't know. I I just might shoot it and put it up on YouTube. It's uh, it's a movie or not a movie, but it's a TV show that has to do with a podcaster and his dad, and who is a DJ. Kind of like a Rush Limbaugh type DJ, right? Comes to live with them, and it's called Sound Bites. So I'm working on that. I think, like I said, I think I'm just going to shoot it uh, with my phone because, like I was said earlier, I can shoot it on 4K, and I just might put it out on uh, YouTube. And see, that's the best way to go because you know, if it if it, if it hits, it hits. If it doesn't, eh, what are you out? Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, because I have... Maybe a little bit of money? Well, like, I've already invested. I, You know, I have my, my phone, which is the camera. I already bought lenses. I bought, the, you know, the different types of equipment for the positioning, the tripod, all that shit. I bought professional lighting. I, per, you know, bought a new uh, shotgun mic. I bought the boom pole. I, I literally, I've bought everything, so I've already, I have everything that I need to make my own stuff. Exactly. And you're doing it yourself, so, you know, because every, everything you have, boom mics, the lighting, all that stuff, you can use it on future projects. Exactly. It's paid for. Yeah. 
This way it won't cost me $5,000 for a minute and 30 second commercial. Just saying. <laughs> All right, kids. We have come to the end of this first round of the new Who's the Boss? Uh, come back next week and we will talk more about, well, pretty much we talk about whatever tickles our fancy. It usually sticks in the realm of business. I mean, um, it's not limited to, but, you know, we've got to enjoy our conversation, right? Oh, yeah. So, for this week, I am David K. Montoya. I'm Alan Russo. And we'll see you all next week for Who's the Boss? Okay. You know, that was actually, I don't know. I, I, I enjoyed podcasting with Russo. I've always enjoyed podcasting with Russo. But unfortunately, he he has uh, scheduling conflicts sometimes, and it, it gets kind of difficult to to set and, and have conversations with him, you know, because we did this and then we closed up shop for a little bit and then we came back and we did two episodes of the Grindhouse Sleeves, which I absolutely loved that one, um, but he has, he was just wasn't able to do it, and. Um, Hopefully, somewhere, somehow, we'll be able to, you know, enjoy another episode of him and I just talking about absolutely nonsense. Okay, so let's just move along, wrap up the show, and... Okay, here we go. The next episode is... What We Think, number 58, Throwback Thursday. I know, I, I, I purposely took Throwback Thursday because that was kind of from, you know, Flashback Friday. You know, just kind of a ha-ha, joking ha-ha. Uh, okay, it says, This week, Dave is out of action with a nasty case of bronchitis. Sadie is staying away until he gets better. So the two, via telephone, decided that they are offering up what they're calling a Throwback Thursday episode with Wynn and Burbank, number one, Red Hills, Green Vines, Dried Monkey Meat for Dinner, and the 1960s. Uh, huh. Okay. Well, it is what it is. Let's go ahead and enjoy what we think, number 58, Throwback Thursday, which is actually number one, which is Red Hill, Green Vine, Dread, Monkey Meat for Dinner, and the 1960s. Enjoy. It's Thursday night, so let's find out what the fuck we think. I'm David K. Montoya. All right, kids, as you can probably clearly hear from my voice, um, I got a nasty case of bronchitis. And when I'm sick or anyone in my family's sick, Sadie stays away like, uh, I don't know, if I were a $20 hooker with an STD. Well, not that I would know anything about a you know, hooker with STDs or anything. Anyway, um, so this is the game plan while my voice holds up. The game plan is uh, we were talking and... She wanted to, to do something, you know, for the listeners, maybe another uh, collection. And I was like, well, for episode 52, we already did a full collection. Um, so I decided what we're going to do 
is we're going to dive all the way back to the beginning. The very first podcast, not only for Sadie and I, but our very my very first podcast as well. See, I have died at the minute 40, 14 second mark. Okay, um, so what we did is we're going to dive back and pull up a very first show before there was what we think Sadie and I did when in Burbank. So let's go ahead and jump back and enjoy what I'm calling a throwback Thursday of Sadie and I's very, very first podcast called Win in Burbank, number one. Welcome to Win in Burbank. I'm Dave Montoya. And I'm Miss Sadie Burbank. Tonight, I want to talk about Sadie's first novel, a nonfiction tale about her experience in 1971 while living in Liberia. The book, Red Hills, Green Vines, and Dried Monkey Meat for Dinner, was released last year in 2011 by Luna Press. Sadie, welcome. Thank you. Can you tell us a little something about your book? Oh, Lord. <laughs> a little something about my book. It took a long time to write. How long did it take? About a year and a half. Almost two years, actually, from start to finish. And how many pages total? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> 200 and something? I don't know. Wait a minute. Uh, counting the end pictures, 261 or two. 262. So, in a year and a half, you wrote 262 pages. How long? Wrote and rewrote and rewrote and rewrote. Yeah. That's what I was going to ask is the first draft. How long would you write the first draft? I didn't actually write a first draft of the whole book. Um, I What I did was I just sat down and started telling the story as it happened to me. And each uh, chapter, if you will, um, covered a period of time from the time I left Los Angeles and several situations there um, in San Diego area until I got to Liberia. So each each chapter got rewritten and rewritten and rewritten until it correctly felt, oh, that's not the right word, until I could make it feel the way it felt then. So the readers could identify with you. Exactly. Yeah, and so I, but because I, I couldn't have just sat down and written the whole thing. Um, actually relived the whole experience while I was writing, and it was sometimes painful, sometimes time-consuming to express some of the feelings that I had then, and to and to remember what went on. This is a long time back, uh, and. If it hadn't have been for the fact that my mother had saved a couple of the letters that I mailed to her from Liberia when I was there, uh, there wouldn't have been as many details in, in the book as there are. But a lot of the details that are in the book, I took from those letters because it was stuff I'd forgotten. You know, like I, I wrote her this whole letter one time about how much everything cost there. Because at the time, it was interesting to both of us. She was interested, and I was interested. Of course, these days, those prices would seem quite reasonable, but in those days, they were not. In all the food, for example, in Liberia that we bought in the stores, everything was imported. The, the country at the time did not have a national product, per se. Uh, they didn't have anything that, that you could buy there that was grown there. I mean, they did have, but very, very little. 
You couldn't get any lettuce, for example. Nobody had lettuce. Restaurants had lettuce. I don't know where they got it, but they had lettuce. But you could, I couldn't go out and buy lettuce. Couldn't buy bacon. Had to buy bacon in a can. You know, stuff like that. Mother found that interesting, and I knew she would. So I would write to her letters about it, and she saved them. So when I started trying to include those kinds of details in the story, I referred to uh, the letters, and it really helped me a lot because I, I didn't realize how much I'd forgotten over the years. Well, that and also I, I've seen the picture of myself. How much did the picture play bring back? A lot, a lot. Um, some of those pictures, when I sit there and, and I, when I sit and look at those pictures, I feel like I'm there where I was when I took those pictures, and it it um, it it put me back there. Which, like I said, sometimes that was painful, sometimes it was not. Sometimes because there were a lot of times when I had a really great time there. I love the Liberian people and I love meeting the Liberian people and sharing time with them. And those memories were brought back by the pictures. And how long was that? Oh, let's see, July to October, went back home for my son's birthday, came back, and then finally left in December. Okay, out of 33 chapters, yes, I went to the book to make sure. <laughs> Good, because I wouldn't remember either. So out of 33 chapters, is there one specific chapter that really stands out, that really, for lack of a better term, your favorite chapter? Oh, you were going to ask me something like that. Basically, what you're asking me is, was there a time that I was there that was my favorite time? And yeah. There was um, Joseph, the local who lived there in our encampment in the bush with us, and he was there to sort of keep us from killing ourselves, basically. He had several wives, two actually. He had one who was named Mimi, who lived there in the camp with him and us, and he had another one, I don't know what her name was, I don't think I ever really knew. Uh, she lived in another village, their relationship was not as close. Um, he had two sons, Bokai and, oh crap, what was his other son's name? I can't remember now. Well, anyhow, it doesn't matter. Uh, and the time that we spent with them, um, we had a tape recorder. We had an old reel-to-reel tape recorder. I think they're called Bokai. I think that's the brand. Uh, it was a great big thing. Huge. Uh, we got Joseph and Mimi in our hut with us and recorded a message to send to my parents as a Christmas gift. And Joseph sang songs in his native tongue, which is Vi, was the language, V-I, I think it's spelled. Um, and then he spoke, he spoke English fairly well, actually, much better than I spoke Vi. And he uh, told my parents that he was so grateful that I had come because Steve and I represented potential work for people in that area um, because of the work we were doing. Uh, we, jobs were going to be available. And so we were held in high regard because of that. 
And so he, Joseph was so grateful that, that we had come. And he was also grateful because we had become friends, and he appreciated that friendship. And that evening that we spent with he and Mimi and the two kids, uh, singing and, and just talking into the tape recorder for my parents to hear was so much fun. And, so, and it was so sweet because we played it back for him to hear. And I, I wish there was some way for people to see the look I remember on his face. And we all sat down. <laughs> when that happened, he was so tickled to hear his voice and to hear his singing and to hear the words he had said of thanks to my parents and to God for me being there and for Steve. So that was probably my favorite time. And that's touched on quite a bit in the book. Now, with the recording, we have a copy of the recording. No, unfortunately... My rapid departure under, as you know, stressful circumstances um, precluded me actually even getting that recording to my parents, and unfortunately it's lost to us, but it will forever remain in my heart. I'm glad you brought up the ending because other than the, the fire ants, <laughs> I absolutely, I remember I was I was probably somewhere at 5 o'clock in the morning, I don't remember exactly where I was at, I remember you had emailed me a copy of that, and I was reading it, and I was just like really into it. Actually, uh, let me correct you, they're not fire ants, they're driver ants. Driver. Yeah, and they're horrendous, horrendous little animals. They're really, they're scary little beasts, <laughs> they are. Anyway. Um, that is... One of the most uh, riveting chapters for me that I enjoyed, I remember mm -hmm. enjoying. Um, but the, the conclusion, and I remember when I was reading the conclusion, that I, I asked myself, this can't be real, because this sounds like something straight out of a Hollywood movie. And I, I read it a couple times, and the ending, um, just, if you haven't read the book yet, folks, you need to buy the book. You can buy it at MythMart, www.MythBooks.com, slash MythBooks. Um, it's 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 a great book, and it, the you. thing that makes it even better is the fact that it really happened. This isn't bullshit, people. This is really what went down back in 1971. Um, but the ending to me was just so exciting. I I could see you know big screen Hollywood multi million dollar budget you know <laughs> making that that run from Robertsville. You know, or to Robertsville, rather, um, to to get to the airport to get back to the United States. It was just, I'm telling you, folks, you're really going to enjoy this book. Um, one of the things that I also wanted to talk about is what led you to decide to write the book. Uh, you did, <laughs> actually. Um, what was I writing? I was writing. Uh, well, I was writing Convict. I was working on Convict which is my graphic novel, I guess we're calling that. I'm not sure what we're calling that right now. Um, and I was well into that, well into that. Dang near had it done. <clears throat> and I don't remember how you found out about Liberia. Did I tell you? I can't remember how that came about that you knew about it. But the minute you heard about it, you made me stop everything and, and write it. You just, just said, convict can wait. Do this now. Um, from what I can remember, 
I believe you told the story to Mario. Oh, yeah. Mario came to me, and to, to tell the listeners, Mario was my president uh, of the company for quite a few years. We were very close. He was like my right-hand man. Um, and Sadie had told him this, verbally the story uh, of the Red Hills. And then he came to me, and he told me about it. And I went straight to Sadie, and I'm like, forget what you're doing. You're going to write this book now. Yep, that's what you did. And that's what I did. I stopped everything. I, I shelved Convict, which I really didn't want to do because I found I had never written anything like a graphic novel before. And in doing so, I, I found a new love. I, I just fell in love with the, the genre of, of that writing uh, technique. And I was real happy doing it. And I didn't really necessarily want to stop and start a non-fiction novel, but um, it was also a story that I have told other people in the past. One of them is mentioned in the, um, what do you call that part where they say thanks to people? Um, Tina Lucas, who worked with us, uh, had heard the story several times because, you know, when you're not doing anything in the middle of the night in the hospital, you got nothing else to do, so you start talking about old times. And, right. And I would tell her different things. And she, every time I'd tell her uh, something about what went on in Liberia, she'd say, you ought to write a book about that. You ought to write a book about that. You know? And I go, yeah, right. Um, so between her having said so and then your saying so, well, you presented to me a more professional opinion than God love her, Tina did. And uh, so I guess between the two of you, I, I decided, okay, maybe I should write that. Maybe it is a good story. Well, I remember at one point, I whether it come hell or high water, I was published. Uh, yeah, you did say that because <laughs> there was a lot of hell and high water in there too. Because there were times when I I would call you up and I'd say, "Have you read this yet? Is it does it sound right? Is that is that what you're looking for? Is it doesn't it, it does it sounds stupid to me? Does it sound stupid to you?" Um, I felt very insecure about telling the story in terms of whether or not anybody else would care about. It the story. One thing that I've learned as a publisher is when it comes to true life stories, whether it's a or society, all you have to do is slap a non-fiction title on there, and you've got I hope so. <laughs> uh, but when it comes into exciting storytelling, um, again, going more into the book, Sadie. Uh, brings the reader into the book. She, she's narrating the book from beginning to end. Um, and, and let me back up a little bit here. Let's talk about the very beginning of the book because you did something that was not normal as far as book you know, publishing. Um, I own a magazine, an online magazine, The World of Myth. Um, and I, I came to Sadie, oh, it's been over a year ago, and I, I told her, you know, this is what we're doing, and I'd like you to do a pre-story, kind of what leads into the Red Hills book. And she put out before the head, before the Red Hills part one and part two, and we originally put it out on the World of Myth. Um, and instead of doing an introduction, which is the norm in publishing, um, Sadie came to me and she told me, "Hey, let's just put." Before the Red Hills, Part One and Two. Let's put it in the spot 
of the introduction. I was like, that's genius. Um, so not only do you get a, a traditional story in the deep of the novel, but you actually get a little extra bonus where the introduction should be because you're getting a whole lead up to it. Um, do you remember, did, did we go back and forth about doing an introduction or was it just something that kind of... Well, you said you wanted me to do one and, and I didn't have an objection to doing one, but it, you know me, I'm pretty wordy. And so by the time I got done, I had like two freaking chapters of introduction. It didn't seem smart to have that. And, and, and then I'd said everything in that, so I didn't have anything left to put in an introduction. And so it just seemed like the natural place to put that information. Um, it, it's, it fits. And at first, to be honest with you, I, I wasn't really sure you know, how that would work. Mm -hmm. Most people would open up, they're like, okay, where's the introduction? So the introduction of the story. But it's just kind of like it what you was sets the tone not in depth um, as to the rest of the novel but it gets you ready it's, it's kind of like uh, like I get something to what you was um, when you were writing what made you decide to go first person versus third person was there anything or was it something that you were like okay I know that I need to narrate this I couldn't do third person because it was too much me. The, the, what I was telling people in, in, the, in the story was right out of my gut, and I couldn't do that in third person. So, doing it in third person, they would lose the emotion. That's what you did in first person. Well, it took me out of it. Um, I, I don't know, it's kind of hard for me to explain, but when I write, when I was writing this, anyhow, um, I'm there. Um, reliving everything that happened if I were to tell it in third person it would take me back out of it again right. and and I, I, I couldn't do that I had to be there to, because I could remember as I was writing I could remember the smells and the, and the, the, the sounds and the, the feel of the, of the country I don't know if you've ever been to a foreign country or not, but I hadn't been. I mean, yeah, I'd been to TJ, but that doesn't count, right. okay? <laughs> uh, for those of you that don't know TJ, that's Tijuana, and Mexico is not that far away. And don't drink the water, folks. Right. <laughs> and I've been to Canada. That doesn't count either. That's not, to me, foreign. Hey. Pardon? <laughs> yeah, right. But I'd never, I had never been out of the country. When I, and I talk about this in the book, when I... When, when, when I came to the door of the airplane and that incredible heat and humidity slapped me in the face, it was like, holy shit, I'm in another world. It, so what are we talking about heat-wise? Oh, Africa hot, totally. I mean, then I, I, you know, I steal so, that from... So we're talking that. Oh, you're oh you, well, no, 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 it was an airport. I mean, you know, it wasn't like, you know... The, Maasai tribes weren't out dancing and shit, but you know it was, uh, it was just hotter than blazes. I knew it was going to be hot, and and the heat wasn't just it. It was, it smelled different. It felt different. It looked different. Everything. That's where the red hills comes in. The 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 dirt there is 
red, you know, like in, in uh, uh, Georgia and Alabama, they got red soil, you know. This is everywhere. All the hills, well, not all of them, but the hills are red. And, and it's such a contrast with the, the jungle foliage, uh, which is where the green vines comes in. On uh, the dried monkey meat, we can get to another time. But um, just stepping out of that plane and into that world, when I wrote about that, that's where I went there again. I had to tell it first person. I didn't want to come back out of it while I was telling about it. And I would write for hours and hours and hours sometimes just because I didn't want to leave, if that makes any sense. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. You get so involved, you're reliving the story, and everything around you is dis- it's, it's dissipating. And yeah. you are in, you are I was living. there. I was there. So yes, I, there. I, I totally understand. And the more I wrote, not to interrupt, but the, mo- the more I wrote, the more I remembered uh, that I had I had forgotten. And and I think that also came from the first person approach, because um, <clears throat> by using the first person, I was there, and by being there, I I could remember what I saw could see it in my mind's eye and that would remind me of things that I had sort of stuck away in the back of my mind someplace and really forgotten you know so it was it for me it was the only way I couldn't write it again folks you guys gotta really sit down and read this um like I said earlier uh Sandy would send me emails with the story and, and I would set and I would read and I'd give her a call and give her my critique um and it's one of those stories where I'm, I'm so engrossed. I, I remember I was sitting in my car. Um, I was taking college classes at the time, and I was sitting there reading the story, and I got so caught up in the story. And when I finished reading that chapter, what well, wasn't even a chapter, it was just a piece of the story, um, I looked at my watch, and I had realized that I was like 30 minutes late to my class. It, it really sucks you in. Um, and I can't say enough good stuff about it. It was just, like I said, when I heard the story originally, verbally, I knew it needed to be done. Um, and I did twist some arms, and, and I, I got my way. <laughs> so, um, let's go in, because we do have time. Um, and I do, I, that was one of the things I wanted to tackle was the title. So you've already explained the Red Hills, the Green Vines. So where does the dried monkey meat for dinner come into play? Well, it comes actually comes from two different instances. There's a story that I tell in the book of when we first came to our camp in the bush. And the bush um, is like, oh, how do you describe the bush? Um, it's just way out in the bush. <laughs> it's out in the away from all the cities, away from the towns, away from most villages, just out in the middle of the jungle. Only in this case, our camp that was built for us in the jungle actually had, on three sides was jungle and the fourth side was beach because we were right on the coast. Well, when we first came to that camp, the first night we were there, first day that we were there, everybody wanted to make sure we were comfortable and happy. And uh, they had several huts built. We had a sleep hut, we had a work hut, we had a storage hut, we had a cook hut. Um, we 
even had a potty hut. We had the whole nine yards, each in its own little hut. Kind of like different rooms in a house, only they were huts. Um, In the cook hut, it wasn't yet set up for my use, and all it was was a hut. Four sides and an open space for a door. But in the back of it, toward the rear, on the ground, was a little sort of fire with some twigs together in a circle with a little curl of smoke coming up from them and on a rack, wooden rack, probably bamboo, uh, sort of behind that fire um, sat something. I don't know what it was. It was something that they had been smoking over that curl of smoke. Now, are we talking like give it smoke flavor or are we talking like... No, that was kind of the way they were cooking it. Sort of, I think. That's what they thought. Um, They being Joseph and Mimi. And um, nothing would do but that they would offer me, you know, we'd walked for three hours. It was a long way from Monrovia, which is the freeport of Monrovia is where we did our business and and all of that. But when we got to camp, we had to take a two and a half hour truck ride and we had to walk three hours and it was a long trip. So we got there and they figured, you're tired, you're hungry, have a bite. You know, like anybody would, right? (laughs) So Joseph, bless his heart, he brings me this piece of, I I found out later it was fish. And uh, said, here, Missy, this is, you know, for you to eat. You know, and I, uh, I couldn't get it close enough to my mouth to eat it because of the smell. And, and I knew it was fish and I'm really not a fish person anyhow. Uh, I didn't know it was fish, but I soon discovered that it was fish. So I had to quickly think because I didn't want to hurt his feelings. I didn't want to insult anybody, and I, but I, there was no way in hell I was putting that in my mouth. So I, uh, I told him that uh, I first I said, <clears throat> "Is this fish, Joseph?" And he said, "Yeah, well, yes, Miss, it's fish. Nice fish. It's sweet. Their word for good. Anything that they eat that's good, they call it sweet." It's sweet, he said. And I said, uh-huh. And I said, uh, has it been over there on that uh, rack over there cooking? You know, and he goes, yes, Missy. I said, I am so sorry. My God will not allow me to eat fish cooked in that manner. I had to do something. I had to not hurt his feelings, but, and, and, and I knew that the, the people in that area were were very religious people, um, Muslims, and, and they're, they're very into dietary restrictions and religious uh, emphasis on that and so forth. So it was a natural. He quickly understood. There was no apology needed. He understood, and everything went on just fine. He said, okay, Missy, no problem. You know, we'll get you a glass of water or whatever instead, and everything was fine. Well, that was part of the the food thing. Well, then, uh, yeah, sort of. Well, we had to go into Monrovia one time for, um, Steve was called there to do a project. He had to raise a barge, had gotten sunk in the Tur- what we called the Turd River. Read the book to find out why. Uh, <clears throat> anyhow, while he was um, doing that, I was on the bank talking with some of the local people there. Uh, talking meant I spoke English, they didn't, and we just nodded a lot, smiled a lot. And it worked. 
one of the ladies there was fanning flies off of these blackened, flattened things on a rack. Again, a rack over a little tendril of smoke. Um, and so I asked what it was. Well, it was monkeys. And if you looked at it right, you could see it kind of looked like a Rorschach, of Rorschach, whatever those tests are, yeah, of a monkey. You know, they had splayed them down the middle and then like that, right? Out flat, sort of like monkey bats, you know? And and then just, I don't know what the hell they did to them to make them so flat. I, I, I don't know what they did to them. But they were, God only knows, but they were blacker than the night. And, and, and leathery and, and really not appetizing looking at all. And the nice lady wanted me to have some monkey meat. Take for dinner, she said. Take for dinner. And I'm like, okay, thank you. I took this little piece, and this isn't in the book actually, but I took this little piece and I put it aside and, as soon as it was feasible, I got rid of it. But um, that's kind of where the dried monkey meat for dinner thing came in. They, those people, you got to understand, this is a this was a, a country in the in the depths of poverty. I mean, when this when this lady had a monkey to dry to eat, she was happy. Okay, <laughs> anything that once lived that they could catch and kill, they would eat. It didn't matter what it was. I don't think there was anything they would not eat if they could catch it and kill it. But if they if they found something dead, they wouldn't eat it because who knows how it died, you know, and they were smart enough not to do that. But anything else, if they could catch it and kill it, it was dinner. So that's kind of where the dried monkey meat for dinner part came. Yeah. And... Also, there were bits and pieces in the book. Um, the the tribe leader and and other people as well. They they called you Missy. Um, where did they get Missy out of Sadie? Well, they didn't get Missy out of Sadie. They got Missy out of uh, when we when we uh, when we left Monrovia, headed for the the camp in the bush the first time. Uh, as I said, it took a couple hours by truck, pickup truck, and then we walked uh, as after the truck went as far as the road did, and after that we had to walk the rest of the way. Well, the road ended in this little village called Dia, and the head man, they didn't call him chiefs or anything, they just called him head man, of the village of Dia was named Momokai. And Steve had already met him because, of course, Steve had gone back and forth to the the camp in the bush many times getting it prepared for our being there but I had never met him and Daniel our driver introduced me to Momokai uh, he started to say this is Miss uh, Was I guess he was going to say this is Miss Burbank but he got as far as this is Miss and Momokai with his limited grasp of English and his urgency to make me feel welcome said, oh Missy and it just kind of stuck. And so this is Miss turned into Missy, and I was called Missy from then on by everyone. That's how everyone I met thereafter, uh, that's how I was introduced to them. This is Missy. And so that's who I was. I was Even Steve called me Missy from time to time. Yeah. 
Um, also, one of the things that I wanted to uh, get into for the, the listener, um, as well as the readers of the book, um, if they read the book, they'll notice that you refer to yourself as Sam, not Sam. Um, and I, I wanted to back up to the initial name S. Sadie Burbank, which is Samantha Sadie Burbank. So, initially, your first name is Sam. Samantha. Uh, Steve, that was more of a mouthful than he could handle, apparently. Uh, anyhow, he didn't like Samantha. So he called me Sam. A lot of people called me Sam. It, it's a, a, a nickname for Samantha. And, you know, we barely talked about Steve. I know we just mentioned his name here and there. Um, now, let's go from the beginning. Who was Originally, he was my liberator. Um, I met him at a bar. I was out one night uh, while I was still married. Uh, I was not happily married. And I had gone to a local bar have a drink or two and dance. I liked to dance. I loved to dance. God, dance all night long if I had the chance. And I met Steve there. Uh, I don't remember whether he was dancing or not, but uh, for reasons only posterity could answer, um, I went home with him that night. Um, he drove a Triumph 500 motorcycle. Never been on the back of a motorcycle before. The moon was out, kind of like it is tonight, and this was in uh, Escondido in the summertime. It was a balmy night. Uh, it was a thrilling ride for me. It was very exciting and romantic. And he was, <laughs> in, in retrospect, in retrospect, I kind of wonder what I saw in him. But at the time, I was very taken, very taken by him. Um, in the book, you'll find out what happened when he got me home. Uh, but uh, he and I struck up a relationship that lasted uh, and became more and more entangled, as it were, until it came to the point where um, I decided I need to leave, leave, needed to leave my husband, and uh, it was hard for me to do, and so I can't remember exactly how it happened, except that one afternoon he was there in our house telling my husband that he wanted me. <laughs> Oh, my God, I can't believe he actually did that. But he did, you know, and I want your wife. And, and I, I really, I think part of me kind of hoped that my husband was going to say over my dead body, uh, but the son of a bitch didn't. He just said, well, it's her choice. You know? And that was just so the wrong answer. Uh, and so that's when I kind of knew that whatever he thought he felt for me, it wasn't enough for me. I needed, I needed somebody that, that, that would have fought for me a little bit anyhow. And so we separated, and I went with Steve, and one thing led to another. We wound up living together, and then he got this job opportunity in Liberia and told them he would only go if I would go with him, could go with him, and I did. So that's kind of how that all came about. When I was listening, and to folks that actually are buying premium download, not the advertising. Uh, and in order to know what I'm talking about, uh, feel free to go and download the free versions here what I'm talking about. Um, in the beginning of each podcast, we have a 
advertisement, and the very first ad is about radio flying drive on dinner. As the narrator was going through the spill, he said something about the social revelation of the 1960s. Revolution. Revolution. That's okay. Uh, Revolution and revolution. uh, How much did that actually come into play with that type of era? I mean, I know it was just in the 70s or beginning, one year in the 70s. How did that really come into play the lifestyle that you were about to change? God, I'm not sure we've got time for me to answer that question fully and fairly, but a lot. More than you can even imagine. Um, Up until that time, okay, let me backtrack just a little. I was 18 years old when I got married. Now, now that seems terribly young. Uh, At the time, it was quite common for girls my age to marry right out of high school. Very rarely, in fact, did they consider themselves uh, material for the uh, marketplace or the business world or even that of college and so forth. And I had dabbled with a couple of courses in uh, junior college right after high school, but initially... Uh, my, my game plan was to get married, have a family, and be a wife and mother, because that's what young women did in those days. And in the 60s, a lot of ideas came out that, that hadn't before, that, thank God, I was open-minded enough to listen to, either that or stoned enough to listen to, <laughs> not sure which, or both. Um, but things like the ability to be independent and, and the right to be independent and the almost responsibility to be independent was something that wasn't suggested for women in those days. It was, it was all new and, and exciting and different because it, it presented opportunities that women didn't think about. And, I mean, yeah, there was a lot of other stuff went on in the 60s. Yes, there was sex, drugs, and rock and roll, and I was happily into most of that, practically all of it, in fact. Uh, and there was anti-war sentiment, and, there, and, and I boycotted grapes with my children in lines around the grocery store yelling, Viva Huelga! You know, we, we, we're not going to eat grapes because... The, the migrant farm workers are starving to death picking those grapes so we can go to the grocery store and, and pretend like we give a shit. And, and, and a lot of times we didn't. But we learned to. We learned to care. We learned it was important. Um, it was a hard time. It was a time of real change. A time when you had to be there almost to get it. But it was... A time when you had to put aside all those things that you learned growing up and you had to say, no, goddamn, you're going to be responsible for yourself, you're going to be responsible for your life. You're going to care enough about yourself to be the person you know you can be, that you think you want to be, because it's okay to, not as only okay to, but it's it's almost required, life requires that you step up to the plate and be that person. 
those were all ideas that, that didn't occur to me as an 18-year-old child right out of high school, the daughter of a preacher, and, you know, on and on and on. And then we went to see Hair. Um, if you haven't seen Hair, and if you don't know, and I know there's a movie, I think there's a movie of it, and that may be the only way you can see it. Uh, you should. You should. Hair, Hair was the aha moment in, in my um, becoming interested in what I could give to life and what I could take from life besides being a wife and a mother. Um, it was it was literally life changing for me, and I I could no longer live the way I had. I could no longer think the way I had, feel the way I had, behave the way I had. Uh, I began to express concern for um, people, real genuine concern that I hadn't even thought of before and it, it changed everything for me it changed how I did things what I said who I said it to who I said it about everything was different everything was different for me the really sad thing was that it didn't affect my husband that way he uh, I don't know you know opportunities come when we're ready I don't think he was ready I Frankly, I don't think he ever got ready. Um, and it's not nice to speak ill of the dead, so I won't. I'll let that one lay there. But um, it was my time. It was time for me to make those changes in my life. Uh, I was approaching 30 years of age at that point, and I, I, I felt if I didn't do something then to, to fix things, I never would. And, and so I did. I started doing things to fix things. I... Um, hung out with hippies. I became a hippie. I, I uh, volunteered at a, a, a suicide prevention phone line. I uh, participated in uh, exposure education weekends, which is what we called these things where we got wasps, white Anglo-Saxon Protestants together, and we scared the shit out of them and tried to get <laughs> them to realize that that they could do something different with their lives. Um, and I mean, when I say we scared the shit out of them, I'm not kidding. I can't remember if I told this story in the book or not about the Black Panthers. Um, <laughs> I hung out with a lot of... I actually wrote in on uh, one year when I voted, I wrote in... Um, Oh, God, I can't even think of his name right now for president. Oh, shit. Well, anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> he was Black Panther. Um, but we, we, this group of hippies and these Black Panthers who were, were all like associates together, I guess you could say, we conducted these things where these, I don't know where the hell these people came from, suburbia, you know, they would come to this, this church down in downtown San Diego, and um, we would we would do things with them to, to smack them in the face, so to speak. Uh, exactly. Uh, we took them down into the scuzzy part of town, and, and 
and we turn them loose with a cord, and we don't come back until you've done something you've never done before. It's, you know, stuff like that. And they'd go to places where you put in a quarter and you can watch a, a, a good sex show, you know, for 15 minutes until things got good, and then, of course, the quarter ran out and you had to put another quarter in. Stuff like that. Anything we could think of to, to get them to, to realize that there were people on the street down there who mattered, and they were ignoring them. And it would never occur to them to even talk to those people or walk beside those people on the sidewalk because they were dirty and they didn't have a place to live and they and they didn't act the way that these other people did and, and you know, all of this kind of stuff. So we really went out of our way to help them learn that. And there were all kinds of people there. We had we had what we called fuck flicks and, and we showed those on the walls of the of the cathedral that we held our meetings in. There were nuns that came to these things. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and and the whole idea wasn't to show the fuck flicks. That wasn't what it was about. It was to, it was just, like I said, to kind of get them to realize that there was another world out there, that, that it was okay to say fuck. <laughs> Sorry, That's all right. It, it was okay. To, it was okay to say fuck. Fuck's a good word, okay? It's like shit, you know? With George Carlin, one of my favorite things in the whole world used to be listening to him talk about the merits of the word word shit because it's the only word that fits sometimes. And the same thing with fuck. It's the only word that fits. And sometimes you need to be able to say that, at least in your heart, not out loud. And so we tried to get them to understand all these kinds of things. And one of the things that we did, (coughs) we sat them in a circle on the floor facing each other, and there were, oh my God, there must have been 45 or 50 people in that circle. Uh, we only did this once that I recall. Um, and we had them sitting cross-legged, not touching each other, and we told them, close your eyes. And as they sat there in the darkened church with no lights, Unbeknownst to them, about 40 Black Panthers came in and stood behind them in a circle. And on cue, they each took their rifles and went cha-ching. And no matter what time of the year it is, if it's, you know, back in the 60s or here in 2012, Mm -hmm. that that, that was... I think we had to mop the floor. (laughs) Yeah. But that, that's just an example, and it's an extreme one, of the kinds of things that we did. Well, these are things that I took time away from my family to do. Some of them I did with my family, my children. Uh, like I said, we boycotted grapes together and stuff like that. But there were other things that I couldn't take my children to do. Um, and so in that sense, I kind of neglected them a little bit. But it were, they were things that I felt they were important to do. Um, in doing all of that, of course, my husband and I grew further and further apart. Uh, he wasn't interested in any of the things I was interested in. He still wanted to cling to that image of me that he had created, uh, sort of a cross between Barbie and Emma, Irma Bombeck, I guess. I'm not real sure what his image of me exactly was, but he... I actually allowed him to buy my clothes for me, pick out my clothes for me, my, oh Christ, even my underwear. I mean, he picked everything out for me, and I let him. It wasn't just him. I mean, I let that happen. And 
somewhere along the line, I finally got smart and said, this is stupid. This is stupid. Don't, you know, take responsibility for yourself. And, 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 and that's what the 60s taught me. That all the sex, drugs, and rock and roll and hair taught me. Just that one simple lesson. Take responsibility for yourself. I tell you a funny story that happened when when a friend of mine and I were I can't remember what the hell we were in LA for. We were driving around South Central. We got lost and thirsty at the same time, and so we parked the car and she and I got out and we went in this bar. And I kind of realized it when I went in, but I wasn't paying attention. Went in and sat at the bar because you know it was a small enough place it would you know it was not going to be a waitress. And so we sat at the bar, and this huge, very attractive, very strong black man came up to us from the other side of the bar with the rag in his hand, and he kind of mopped the bar in front of us, and he leaned over and very politely and very quietly said, If you leave now, no one will be offended. And I realized we were in the very blackest part of town. The very blackest bar we could have been in. There was nothing white in the room. People or walls, nothing was white. So we said thank you very much. And we got up and we left and drove a little further out of town to another place where we were not going to insult anybody by showing up and occupying space in their world. Um, well, at this point, I, I want to say say thank yous. Um, other than being my co-host, uh, S. Sadie Burbank is also a co-executive producer of the whole Jayzo Modcast show. Um, and I want to formally thank her for everything that she's done. Uh, we've done a lot of back and forth emails, conversations, kind of getting uh, what we want to talk about, uh, not only for tonight, but for future shows. Um, so thank you for that. You're welcome. Um, my pleasure. And I want to thank everybody for listening. Has it been an hour already? <laughs> so this is Dave Montoya. And uh, Sadie Burbank. And remember, what happens in Burbank ends up on a podcast. <laughs> Have a good night, folks. All right, kids, that's it for this week. I hope you enjoyed our little flashback show. Um, come back next week, and hopefully my voice will be better, and I'll be feeling better. Um, as you can hear, just doing this little two-bit little segment thing. Uh, damn near killed my voice. So for this week, I am David K. Montoya, and you heard what we think, and now you know. See you next time, kids. Bye-bye. You know, that was the second podcast that I'd ever done in my life. Ever, 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 ever done in my life. So, you know, for all in all, I think it came out pretty nice. Um... Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty happy with it. it it's uh, definitely, definitely flashback. Now I can yammer and, and not think about it and sit here by myself and, and just create content on my own. All right, kids, I want to thank you all for coming in and enjoying these three shows. Come back next week. We will pull three more, and we will enjoy their audio goodness right here on Flashback Friday.